You are listening to the podcast of Richland Hills Baptist Church. We are located in Richland Hills, Texas. Our desire here is to believe, live, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you're listening to our podcast today, if you have any questions, you can find us on the web at richlandhillsbc.com. God bless you. Go ahead and open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll be looking this morning at verses 4 through 14. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. But I do want to make a note as we talk about that, that one of my goals for 2014, not 2014, that's a while ago, 2024, a vision is that every person in our community, in Richland Hills, every person that walks through our doors would have their own copy of God's Word, that they'd have a Bible. And so I say this, if you are here today and you don't have a Bible of your own, I've got some that you can have. I want every person to have their own copy of God's Word. Uh, Online Bibles are great, but it's something important about a physical copy. So if you need one or know someone that does, let me know. But this morning, again, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 1. A few weeks ago, we began a series of messages in Hebrews. Now, I want us to consider this morning a little bit more of what the author of Hebrews is going to tell us about Jesus. But as he does, he's going to speak about angels. Now, angels are fascinating to us. They're fascinating to me in our culture. Angels are a big part of our culture. In fact, you look at the entertainment world, Hollywood. The 90s seemed to be a big time for angels, isn't it? My favorite angel movie is Angels in the Outfield. Anybody see that one? Angels in the Outfield. Christopher Lloyd, also known as Doc Brown. I want you to finish this saying here. See if you can do it. Every time a bell rings, angel gets their wings, right? Angels are important in our society. And then you look at Christmas just with that movie, and angels are everywhere. Raise your hand if you put an angel on top of your Christmas tree. Yep. See, some of you put an angel there, and we think about the Christmas messages, and there's angels there, and I mean, look at the decorations. Who has an angel in your Christmas decorations outside of the tree, maybe, on the yard or something? Yes, see, see, angels, they're they're important. What, What is it about our interest and fascination about angels? Now, in one sense, it's the Bible, right? It's the biblical worldview. But oftentimes, though, our interest in angels can actually go a step further where sometimes people almost treat angels as almost godlike. Sometimes people almost give this, this kind of idea of angels as something bigger than what they are. So, so what does the Bible say about angels and how do, how do angels fit into the message of Jesus Christ? How are we to understand them? And you say, well, Pastor, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, we see in the Bible. One of the most important things in the birth narratives of Jesus, what was it? The angels. The angels came and they they told different people. Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph, they, they told them about this coming Messiah, Jesus. 
So angels play this remarkable role in the Bible. So I want us to see that, again, Hebrews chapter 1. Follow along with me in your Bible. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And... Your Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your ear, your years have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Let us pray. Father, may your word speak to us. And may we see and understand from your word that your son Jesus is far greater than even the angels. In his name we pray. Amen. So that big idea of Hebrews chapter 1 here is going to, in this passage, is that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I mean, he began this letter, this sermon. We talked about this is almost like a sermon. I mean, he, he began this with a punch. He began this by saying, listen, who is Jesus? He tells us he, he, he is his son. He's appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. This Jesus, he upholds the world or the universe by the word of his power. He's our redeemer. So he begins this by saying, listen, this is Jesus. He is God in the flesh. He is everything. He wants you to know that. As you're reading Hebrews, you're supposed to gather that at the very beginning. Okay, this is about Jesus. This is centered on Jesus Christ, and that is so important, right? As God's people, we are supposed to be Christ-centered. Our lives, our love, our affections, our minds should be centered on Jesus. I mean, the Christmas season is supposed to be about Jesus, right? But yet, so often, let me ask you this, how much of your life is really centered on Jesus? How much of your thoughts and your mind and your affections, your love, how much is it really centered on Jesus Christ? Now, only you have to answer that. But Hebrews is going to help us 
rebalance ourselves, if you will, to remind us of who we should focus on. But he does this in a very interesting way. Remember, we said from the very beginning, Hebrews is going to require you to look at the Old Testament. Now, some people don't like to look at the Old Testament. But the author of Hebrews can say, listen, everything I'm going to tell you is going to be grounded and based on the Old Testament. God's Word remains true from the days before. The Old Testament is God's Word. And so in here, I want you to make note, there are going to be seven different references to the Old Testament. And so we're going to look at those and think about them and consider them. But I want you to think about these three points. So if you take notes, you can write down these three points. The Son has a greater name, a greater status, and a greater rule. In verse 4, he says, listen, he has become much superior, much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There's a few things we have to look at first. What is this name and what does it mean that Jesus inherited this name? Now, when we think about the name of Jesus, we think about Jesus, of course, Christ, Emmanuel. I mean, throughout the Bible, we see different names, but what is this name he inherited? Now, one of the most important things when you look at your Bible, this is what we're going to talk about in our study in a few weeks. One of the things when you study the Bible, you have to look at context. So what does the context tell us about the name that he's inherited? It's the name Son. Son. Now, this gets a little, we're getting into it a little deep here, so just hang with me. Now, when we think about Jesus as the Son, there are two things I want you to consider. I want you first to consider that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. He has been the Son for all time. And we see that in Hebrews, we talks about Him creating. Jesus is the eternal Son of God. That's His nature. But here, in Hebrews, when He's speaking of Him being the Son in this passage, it's Him as Son as the Messiah, the Chosen One. That's the name that was given to Jesus when He finished and did all the work of the Father. He was the Son, the Messiah, the Chosen One. Now, when was it that Jesus, again, fulfilled all that, that God had sent Him to do? When He died, when He was buried and rose again. When Jesus did these things, He fulfilled the role of the Messiah. What happened if Jesus never died on a cross for your sins? He was just one of many false messiahs. But you see, Jesus, He died for you. He redeemed you. That was a part of God's purpose. That was His purpose. Your and mine salvation. And so Jesus is this Son, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the Redeemer. He says, listen, 
For which of the angels did he ever say this? So that first thing, I want you again, he has a greater name as the Son. And to make his point, the writer is going to say, okay, well, let me, I want you to take angels. Now, there are some people that think that maybe people were worshiping angels at this time. We don't know that. But angels, even in the Old Testament, were important, weren't they? So the writer said, okay, I need you to see how important Jesus is. I want you to think about angels. He's going to say, listen, angels were very important in the Old Testament, right? So think about the angels. And he says, listen, of what angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? That's found from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. That's from the psalm. And that's a messianic psalm. That psalm is going to speak about Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now, which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? You have this special place. The answer, of course, is none. None of the angels have had this specific role, if you will. A name. Then he says, and he's quoting 2 Samuel 7, 14, if you're taking notes. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This passage here is pointing back to when Solomon, Solomon, he was going to be the son of David, but there's something very deeper than that. Again, this is messianic, because while Solomon was the son of David, he was not, not going to be the perfect son. The Messiah. He say, listen, are any angels like that? Do any angels have this particular relationship to the Father? Here's a couple things you have to know about angels. One, their name. Do you know what it means? Messenger. An angel, the very word angel in Greek means messenger. So angels are messengers. They have a purpose. They have a message to deliver. Don't you see that in the Christmas passage? They're delivering messages. Two, angels are created beings. They're not eternal. They are created. They are made. They're not God. The other thing that's important is that when your loved one and my loved one, when they pass away, they do not become angels. That's kind of a collective thing that people think about sometimes, right? Your loved one does not become an angel. In fact, if your loved one is a believer in Jesus Christ, when they get to heaven, they're going to have even a greater a greater role because they are going to be worshiping Jesus as redeemed people. So your loved one does not become an angel. I remember one of the most difficult pastoral things I've had to do, not here. There was a man whose wife passed away. Obviously in very great grief. And he had taken a picture, a video, and you know how sometimes in the video there's little circles and things that pop up, little light things, orbs almost. And he was convinced that this little light was his wife. 
was an angel. And it was very difficult because I had to talk to him. And again, I saw no evidence of that. It, again, it looked like something I'd seen many times in many pictures. But it was tied into his grief and he was convinced. But we have no evidence in the Bible of that, that a person becomes an angel. Instead, angels have a, a message. But yet, even with that, Jesus has a greater name. Jesus is much greater than the angels. We are never called to worship the angels. But then there we see that angels have a greater status. And again, when he brings the firstborn in the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. That's Christmas, isn't it? Think about Again, the firstborn into the world. Think about the role of the angels in the Gospel of Luke. If you'd like to turn there, you can. But in the Gospel of Luke, we we see the role of angels. We see what they say in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. There was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. You see, there it seems that if the angels are worshiping Jesus Christ, the angels understand who Jesus is. The angels understand that He is far greater than them. That he, they understand that, that Jesus has a greater status than they do. I mean, the angels will be worshiping. I mean, look at the, the book of Revelation and you see this heavenly worship service where the, the angels and all these bees, they come and they are bowed down before the Lamb, worshiping Jesus Christ. Like when you read the Christmas passage, that's what you're supposed to see, that everybody, everything, the kings from afar, the, the angels from the eternal realm, they all come and they all are focused on Jesus. And the writer's saying, listen, He is the worship of the angels. We don't worship the angels. They worship Him. Then he, they even goes further. Quoting Psalm 104.4. He says He makes His angels winds and His ministers a flame of fire. The angels serve God. And because Jesus is God in the flesh... They serve Him. He will command the angels where to go and what to do. They are like winds. The ministers of flame of fire, you see, they serve His purposes. And then going further, we see that angels, compared to angels, the Son has a greater rule and reign verses 8 and 9 quoting from psalm 45 verses 6 through 7 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Like this is Jesus that he's talking about. He's saying, listen, Jesus is going to be the ruler and the one who will reign forever. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. This speaks to the divine nature of Jesus Christ. Again, I'm going to say this over and over and over through Hebrews. Jesus is divine. He's God. And the author is saying, listen, His his throne is forever and ever. So not only is Jesus God, but He is eternal. Eternal God. Says this scepter is forever. It's upright. So the other thing that we see about the Son is that He is righteous. The reign of Jesus will be righteous. We don't have to look far. It doesn't matter politics or who you like or don't. Any leader that you read about in history any leader locally state government world whatever it is there's no human leader that's perfect are they there's none of you that are perfect even the best of us never rule with complete never live with complete righteousness do we Every single person, every leader, every person here, we all fall short of God's glory. But he's saying, listen, this son, he's going to rule forever and ever, and he's going to be completely perfect and righteous. He's going to hate all wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. That psalm there is actually a royal wedding psalm. It actually speaks to, again, one thing you have to see and make note of this. All these psalms, there's always, I believe, a dual fulfillment. It speaks to a something at that time, but there's also a focus on Christ many times. But it speaks of that special rule of Jesus Christ. But then in verse 10 through 12, quoting from Psalm 102, verses 25 through 27, it speaks to the rule that Jesus has over the natural realm, creation. You, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years have no end. You know, one thing is people. When we think about the earth, when we think about the world, and maybe you go and you look at the mountains, how glorious they are. Maybe some of the the trees that have lived for hundreds of years in different places. Well, Steve loves to go to the Grand Canyon. 
He'll invite you if you ask, okay? And it's easy to sometimes think of these things as permanent. Like they'll be here forever. Like if you go to the Rocky Mountains, you think, this, this is eternal. But they're not. All these things that are so incredible and glorious, they will all pass away. The things that we believe are so real and will always last, they will all were fashioned by the Word of God through Jesus Christ. And they will all pass away. In fact, the writer is saying, using Psalm, he's saying, listen, they're going to be like a, like a garment. He's just going to roll it up. He's just going to get rid of it. And he's going to create something new. We know in the book of Revelation, there will be a new heaven, a new earth. But just like an old garment, this, this world that we think is so permanent is just going to be gone. This speaks to his rule over even the natural realm. Even nature, I believe, worships Jesus Christ. Everything points to Jesus. He rules all things. And then we see there that we have no end, His years. And then that last verse, 13, quoting Psalm 110, verse 1. Sit at my right hand, or to which of the angels has He ever said, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Again, another psalm that's going to speak of the rule of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus right now is at the right hand of the Father. And He is ruling and reigning right now. But for a period of time, there will still be allowed to have... Evil still exists here on this earth, right? Not all the enemies of God are subdued, but there will be a day. That's the, that's the message of the Bible. That Satan and all his adversaries are defeated enemies, and there will be a day when all evil, all sin is wiped out, and all the enemies of God will be like a footstool for the feet of Jesus Christ. He will rule forever and ever Endeavor. That last verse. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That goes back and speaks to the role of angels. They serve God, but even in that, they also will minister to us. Not because we command them. You can't command angels. I don't care what any TV preacher says to you. You and I don't command the angels. God commands the angels. And oftentimes they do help us. You know, in the Bible, 
most of the time when somebody saw an angel, do you know what their response was? Terror. Fear. We know that because the angels usually say what? Do not be afraid. There's something, must be something so majestic, so glorious about the angels, something so bright perhaps, even in their appearance, that causes people this great terror. They don't know what's happening. They're, they're confused. They don't understand. But there's something so majestic about them. But one thing I want you to consider when you think about that, let's, let's kind of process that a little bit. If you and I are terrified at the angels, at their glory and their majesty, whatever, not glory as God has, but something that they have. Imagine one day when you and I, for those that have trusted in Jesus Christ, when we meet our Savior, we will fall down in complete and utter worship of Jesus Christ. If the angels cause people that reaction, imagine Jesus in all His glory. But it won't be a fear in the sense of that terror. It's going to be a fear of awe-inspiring worship. The true worship of Jesus. So often we wonder, well, what are we going to do in heaven? What's it going to be like? Am I going to see this and that person? And I don't know. And you don't know. But what we do know is that when we are there, our focus is going to be on the glory of Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's greater than anyone or anything. He's greater than all the angels. And what are the angels doing in heaven? They're worshiping Him. And if they're worshiping Him, who are we going to worship? Him. He's greater. But if that's true, and if you say, yes, I, I agree with you, Pastor, that's true. We're going to worship Jesus in heaven. And maybe you agree with that. So if you agree with that, then ought not your life and my life right now be spent in preparation to that worship that we will have for all eternity should not your life look like a life of worship to the lord jesus christ you see that's christmas when we think about jesus think about the Lord and we ought to consider our life belongs to him and if we really say that we love Jesus and we're Christians and we want to follow him then our life should be spent in service to him your life should reflect the glory of Jesus Christ your thoughts and actions what you do where you go all of that should reflect that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Listen, you're not going to just all of a sudden start worshiping Jesus when you get to heaven. If you and I don't worship Him now, we will not have the opportunity to worship Him in heaven.
Because worship is what believers do. If you and I don't worship Christ with our lives and our hearts, then we may not truly be followers of Jesus. The heart of a Christian is a heart of worship. And this life is meant to prepare us for this eternal purpose. Are you following Jesus? Is He your Lord? So often we, we can say the right things. We, we know what to say. We, we have the right Christian language. We, maybe we have the right story. We, we grew up in a church. We did this or that. None of that matters, really. What matters is who is on the throne of your heart. When we stand before God, He's not going to look at the roles of Richland Hills Baptist Church. He's going to look at the book of life. When we get there, He's not going to See if you checked all the boxes. He's going to see who is on the throne of your heart. And I want you to consider that because Christmas should reinvigorate that love for Jesus. But so often we become lazy or content or whatever it is and we, our lives don't reflect worship. Who's on the throne of your heart? This is what the writer's saying. There shouldn't be angels on your throne. Not some sort of idols on the throne of your heart. But Jesus. Who's on your throne? Let us pray. Father, we think about your word. We think about who you are. And Lord, I consider your son, Jesus Christ. Who stepped into humanity. Leaving the glory of heaven. To come and live and die. In the flesh. Father, I think about that great love. A love that was undeserved, but a love for us. There's no one like your son, Lord. He's greater than all things, greater than even the angels. But Lord, do our lives reflect that. Father, you know even in my heart, there's, Lord, places in my life that don't reflect my love for you. And Father, I just pray for myself, Lord, that you would show me. Show me the things that don't belong. But Father, I pray that that would be our heart all across this room. Who or what are we worshiping? Do our lives reflect our love for Jesus?
Lord, may that be the case. And I just pray for each person. Lord, may you speak, not my words. Lord, may your word speak to the heart of each person. May you show us, Lord. May you show us, Lord, areas in our life that don't belong. But Father, I also pray that if there's someone here that, Lord, they've never believed in Jesus Christ. Maybe they grew up in church or they, whatever, they've, Lord, they've walked down the aisle. But Lord, if there's someone that's never truly believed, Lord, may you speak to their hearts. May you show them their need for Christ. Lord, may we all see our need today. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.